Jesus told his disciples, if anyone comes after me, he must pick up his cross to follow me. There is great pain in being nailed to a cross. There's great sacrifice that comes with bearing your own cross. But Jesus calls us to a purposeful dying to ourselves. He calls us to a purposeful nailing our shame and our pride to the cross. That's why he says if, if anyone seeks to find his life, he'll lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. See, a song like this is a reminder of our need to lose our lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. But are you willing? Are you willing to, to lose your life? Are you willing to go through some sacrifice and some pain so that God may be glorified? Are you willing to really do the hard work of nailing your pride to the cross? That's what he's calling us to today. Such a beautiful song. And I nail my glory to the cross. I didn't know if you know it or not. Maybe I'm the only one, but we're all glory seekers. We, we all want to be exalted in our own way. Uh, and he's calling us to something much greater than that. Being exalted by Jesus is much more worth than being exalted by man. Sometimes the question is, can you wait a little while? Can you wait a little while? Um, it's always an honor and a privilege to stand before you. Uh, I was uh, very excited when Pastor E asked me to preach uh, this Sunday being Mother's Day. It's the first time I've, uh, I've gotten a chance to preach Mother's Day. Um, um, and so I... Uh, you know, being a husband and a father, I see the daily grind of being a mom. Uh, I see my, my wife work tirelessly, um, having three children under six. Um, but I've also recently had to do some parenting of teenagers. And so um, I, I get a, a short glimpse of those of you who have older children have had to go through in those teenage years. Uh, and so... <laughs> Somebody felt that, huh? <laughs> um, and, and, and so to, today I pray, my prayer for today is that this would be an encouragement for you uh, as, as a mom, uh, as a mother, as someone who has committed their lives to someone other than their self. See, mo motherhood, so forgive me fathers, today's not about you, but don't check out on me. Um, but be, being a mom is, is an ult ultimate example of sacrificial love uh, and what that looks like. And so uh, I pray today's encouragement and encouragement for you in the, in, like I said, in the first gathering, the words of the great poet Tupac, you are appreciated. <laughs> Amen. So, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest, before we jump in the text, uh, some of the difficulty of preparing for today, 
uh, is uh, whenever you have holidays like this, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you're always preaching to a mixed crowd um, because there are some here who, um, who are mothers and enjoying it and God is just blessing your relationships. There are other of you, uh, like Pastor Larry mentioned, who have lost their mom. Uh, and whether it be 30 years ago or whether it be yesterday, it's still hard. Um, and so uh, there are other, others of you who desire to have children, but God has not sent you a spouse yet. Uh, and you're wrestling with the Lord about what your life is going to look like. Uh, there are some of you who are married, but have had very much difficulty having children. Right? Uh, and so there's a, there's a mixed multitude among us of people with different experiences as it relates to uh, the identity of a mom and the relationship with a mom. And so that's what makes it difficult. And my heart was burdened for that mixed multitude this week as I prepared. And so uh, if, if you're not a mom today, do me a favor and don't check out, right? Because God has a word for you today as well. Second Timothy 3 16 and 17 says that all of God's word is breathed out by him and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. And so God has a word for you today too. If, if Mother's Day is a discouragement to you, um, especially those who have difficulty having children, let me, let me say this. Don't give up on God. Continue to hope in the Lord. I've seen too many instances of women in this book right here, this living book, where God opened wombs, where God sent spouses. So we're not saying it's not hard, but what I want to say is don't stop praying and seeking the face of the Lord and hoping in the Lord. But... Don't stop seeking contentment in God right now. Because if you don't have peace with God right now, I can guarantee you, you won't have peace with God when he gives you what you want. Uh, So don't, don't be fooled by the enemy's schemes to wrap your identity in Christ around your difficulty of not having a spouse or not having children. You are a child of the living God. And so um, I pray today, even for those of you who are not moms, that today's message would be an encouragement for you and you'd be able to glean something from it as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, If you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, uh, and stand with me as we read the word of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, beginning at verse 26 through verse 38. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right, let's, let's jump in. I'll, I'll start us off and you guys keep going. Uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Keep going.
Amen. If I could add a title to this text today, it would be a, a legacy worth leaving. A legacy worth leaving. Let's pray. Father God, we are excited once again to join together in unity under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and open your word. Uh, for in it we find life, and we find instruction. Uh, in your word we find hope, and we find peace. And so God, today I pray that your word would spring forth like living waters into our soul, uh, that it might encourage us, that it might strengthen us uh, for the times that lie ahead. Uh, and so God, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word, uh, and we pray all of that in Christ's name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Um, so I, I'm a music fan, um, but one of the things that I despise about today's R&B um, is that ain't no more boy groups. <laughs> it's no more. You know, they, they, they've gone extinct, right? Uh, I mean... And I, for me, I don't care what nobody says, the 90s, the 90s, I don't even got to finish my sentence. All I got to say is the 90s. Amen. Now, I know my dad would have disagreed because he would have said the 70s. Pastor Larry's, it's a, I told Pastor Larry in the first gathering, country music has stayed the same throughout generations, has not changed one bit. But, but that's, that's the one thing that I really miss about R&B. I'm a huge R&B fan, and I miss, I miss the, 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 the men's groups, man. I miss it. I miss it, right? I, like, they, they, can't nobody sing no more. Like, can't nobody just sing? Like, it bothers me, right? And so, uh, you know, but one of, my, one of my favorite groups from the 90s, man, and I don't know if y'all gonna agree with me because there was a lot of groups, but man, Boys to Men was killer. <laughs> In, in, in the 90s, I mean, they was, they, was, they, was running the, they was running the game. I don't care what, they struggling a little bit now, but they, they was killing it in the, in the 90s, man. Um, but you know, around, around Mother's Day, you know, they got this one song around Mother's Day, always reminds me of my, my, my mom. Y'all know what song I'm talking about. You know, I can't go a day without my, my, my mama, yeah, y'all know, yeah. <laughs> Mama, you know I love you. Yeah, you know, y'all, y'all know, y'all know that song. You know I love you, mama. You know, y'all, y'all, know all that. You know, but man, but but you know that that song was. I mean, it was it was a great song because it, it kind of talked about the importance and the nature of a mother's relationship. Uh, with, with, with our children, right? And, and moms and dads are, are a little different, right? Like dads, you know, dads are, they're good when it comes to like, you know, instilling confidence and, and strength and, and discipline, um, but, but dads aren't too comforting, you know? They, they're not great comforters, right? Especially not like a mom, like moms are just, they naturally have that God-given God gift to comfort and, and encourage. This is, here's, a couple, here's a couple lines from, from the song. You were there for me to love and care for me when skies were what color? Gray. Y'all see, y'all know the song. Whenever I was down, you were always there to comfort me. There were so many times looking back when I was so afraid, and then you come to me and say to me, I can face anything, right? Now, if my, if my son wakes up in the middle of the night and tells me he's afraid, I'm telling him to go lay back down, <laughs> right? 
Like, my wife, she's going to hug him. She's going to ask what's wrong. She's going to tell him he, he doesn't have to be afraid anymore. I'm like, son, you too. You too old for this. Go lay back down somewhere. You know, it's just, it's, it's just different. It's just different, right? But, but moms, moms have a very unique role in the life of the family, uh, and in particular, in the life of children. And God... Uh, has sovereignly called moms to a very hard, particular role as it relates to raising children, right? And I, I know we're in a, a dad epidemic, and we have an epidemic not just in America but across the world as it relates to fatherlessness, um, but we, we, we don't want to talk about that at the neglect of how valuable and how important the role of the mom is in a child's life. Right, and so today we're going to look at uh, uh, this young woman, Mary, and her life. Uh, we're going to talk, we'll look, up, look at what God called her to uh, initially in, in her life as a mom and the difficulty of what she had to work through, uh, and prayerfully you'll be uh, encouraged by what we see. And so when we look at verse uh, 26, well, before verse 26, uh, the angel Gabriel has shown up to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth at this time and has prophesied the coming and told them about the coming of uh, John the Baptist. And so all of that's taken place. And then we find ourselves here uh, in, in verse 26. Uh, and, the, and the Bible says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, now, Luke is very particular about uh, identifying uh, uh, this place called Galilee, the city called Galilee, this town named Nazareth, because he's not writing to Palestinians. And so Luke, Luke has to do the job of identifying for them exactly where all of this has take pla taken place. However, what you want to know about Nazareth is Nazareth is not a good place to grow up. Nazareth is a very poor town built on agricultural crops and, and all those types of things, but it's also a corrupt town, right? There's a lot of shady things going on. Nobody, it's, the, like, it's described many times as a non-place, not somewhere that you want to be if you don't have to, right? It's similar to Southwest Philly. Excuse me, don't, don't offend it if you're from Southwest Philly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're from Southwest Philly, I apologize, but I don't apologize, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to go to Southwest Philly. I'm sorry, even the people from Southwest Philly know nobody wants to go there. I'm like, there's nothing in Southwest Philly that says come here at all, right? If you can avoid it, you go around, right? That's just Southwest Philly, I'm sorry, I apologize. But that's, that's, that's the equivalent. When you think Southwest Philly, think Nazareth. That's exactly what it's like, right? That's, that's, that's why Nathaniel, he says, does anything good come from Nazareth? There, it's, it's known amongst people that that's just not where you want to be from, nor do you want to have to go there, right? So, so the angel shows up on the scene in this, this little town, this little grimy, poor community that nobody wants to be from. It's, kind, it's, just, it's just an unimportant place, right? And then it says, he shows up there to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So here we get our first introduction to this young woman named Mary. And the Bible says a, a couple of things uh, about her. One, it says that she was a virgin, 
right? Now, oftentimes this word can be used to describe just a young woman. However, this isn't the case here with Mary. With Mary here, this word is actually describing her as a virgin, as in not having had sexual relationships with a man, right? Now, we see that also in Matthew chapter 1, where the Bible says, after Joseph's encounter with the angel, it says, and he did not know his wife until the child was born, right? And so the Bible is making it perfectly clear that both pre-conception and post-conception until Jesus was born, she did not know a man, right? That's important for us, right? But it also says that she was betrothed, right? Betrothal uh, in that time is the marriage process. And so there was two stages to the marriage process. There was the engagement time, and then there was the actual marriage. So in the engagement, being engaged meant that you were identified as husband and wife, See, it's a little different than our engagement. Our engagement is more of a soft commitment, right? Because you can kind of get out of that with no, no problem if you don't want to. If you just change your mind, you can give back your ring and just keep it moving, right? You, you can. You couldn't do that here and this time. Once you were engaged, that means that a bride price was already paid from you and there was an agreement established between the fathers of both families. You were considered in the community a husband and a wife. The only way out of the engagement was a legal divorce because you were considered married, right? If she went and had sexual relationship with another man, they would, commit, they, would, they would count that as adultery, drag her out, and stone her, right? So think of engagement in that way. Engagement in that time, you were married, right? But that was just the engagement time. And then uh, they didn't come together sexually until the actual marriage took place where they consummated the marriage. And so we see this, this, this young girl named Mary who's a virgin, who's betrothed to, to Joseph of the house of David. At this point in time, she's probably between the ages of 12 and 15, probably closer to 12 or 13. So she's a young woman, hasn't experienced life much, and, and, and God is about to rock her world. But before we talk about that, let's, let's get to know Mary right? Because we think of Mary, we think of this, this giant, like she was Jesus's mom, you know, and, and, but outside of the birth of Christ narratives, we don't hear much about Mary. Her name is mentioned 13 times in all of scripture. 12 of those times in the New Testament, one of those times in the book of Acts. 13 times. She's, she's relatively an unimportant, unimportant person. Mary doesn't even have many speaking parts. The book of Matthew in chapter one, she's a passive character. She doesn't have any speaking roles at all. They just refer to her. The only other time she speaks outside of these first couple of chapters in Luke is in John chapter two at the wedding at Cana. She has two verses, verse three and verse five, and not even the full verse, only like four or five words. I counted it. I did. In all of scripture, in all of the words, in all of the verses, in all of the chapters, in all of the books, in both of the testaments, I, I wanted to count up how many words exactly there were in the Bible. But we can estimate that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands. Mary has 192 words that she spoke. 137 of those words came in a song that she wrote after this event happened. So words that the Bible records her actually speaking are 
80, no, 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 55. Mary said 55 words in the Bible. A relatively unimportant person from a town nobody wants to be from, nobody wants to go to, she's a nobody. She would have had some kids, got married, had some kids, they would have been poor because she was poor, and then she would have died just like everybody else. There was nothing special about this girl from Nazareth. And yet the Bible says that an angel sent from God came to her. Verse 28, it says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, it's, it's interesting in verse 28 where it says that he greets her and says, O favored one, or you are highly favored. Mary had been embraced by God in that she had been chosen to bear God's son. She had not been chosen, listen to this, for this task because she possessed a particular skill or because she earned it through a holy life that merited this privilege. The text in no, other, in no way suggests any type of special worthiness on Mary's part. God sending this angel to bestow grace on her and call her, oh, favored one, was strictly the grace of God. Nothing that she had done in her life had warranted God lavishing his affections on her in this way. This is reminiscent of the gospel. When you trust Jesus Christ, there's nothing that you've done to, to merit any type of love from God. He just chooses to. Just because. He just chooses to. And that's, that's what happens here. And then they, the angel says, the Lord is with you. Now, this is different than the, the angel saying or somebody saying, the Lord be with you. That's wishing that the Lord would be close to you and you can experience the favor of God. He's saying a statement of truth. The Lord is with you. The power of the almighty God is resting on you. The Lord is with you. Verse 30 says, or verse 29 says, but she was greatly troubled or she was confused or perplexed about what... He was trying to say, I don't know, but I'd have been freaked out. Like this angel coming in majesty and, and glory. Like everywhere else in the Bible, when somebody encounters an angel of the Lord, they are scared to death. So like Mary's thinking in her mind, like, what are you talking about? Like, what, like, oh, favored one, the Lord is with, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? We can, we can be inclined to understand that she was afraid because in verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, that idea of favor, right? Now, when we look at Mary's life, which we'll talk about in a, a little bit, when we look at the character of Mary's life, she's a model believer, taking God at his word in contrast to Zechariah, which we'll talk about when we get to verse 34. She found favor with God. She was a thoughtful woman, verse 29, chapter 2, verse 19 and 51. She was obedient, verse 38. She was believing, verse 45. She was worshipful, verse 46. And a follower, a faithful follower of God's law, chapter 2, verse 22 through 51. Yet in all of this, there's nothing to suggest that she did anything to earn God's favor. This woman, Mary, was living a godly life, living a faithful life, and yet that didn't earn her the right to stand before God's presence. God had to just decide, I'm just going to lay my affections on you, right? But as I look at this, I'm reminded of a Proverbs 3, verse 3 and 4, which says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. 
bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So there's a call there for us to allow steadfast love and faithfulness to characterize our life. However, it doesn't earn us anything with God. Right? You have found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. In verse 31 now, we've been introduced to, by verse 31, we've been introduced to Mary, to Joseph, to the angel Gabriel. He's done his greeting, and now he just drops a bomb on her and interrupts not just her day, but her life. Mary didn't have six months to plan for the angel to come and to conceive Jesus. He just showed up one day out of nowhere and said, you're going to conceive and bear the Messiah, right? There's there's something very interesting I want us to understand. When we walk with the Lord, when you are a follower of Jesus, when you are letting steadfast love and faithfulness characterize your life, God is going to call you to do some hard things. And here you see this young girl who is characterized as faithful in her obedience to God, and God just shows up one day out of the blue and calls her to carry the Messiah. Right? That's a hard task, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But let's, let's keep going. Verse 34, and it says, it says, Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I am a virgin? That's a legitimate question, right? She says, I haven't known a man. How will you expect me to, like, how am I going to give birth, right? Now, she's not surprised that he's saying that the Messiah is going to come. They were expecting a Messiah, right? Many young women were probably awaiting that time and wondering if they would be the one to get to carry the Messiah, right? That was a privilege and an honor that they were waiting on in that time. So she wasn't confused that the Messiah was coming, but she, did, she, she seeks for clarity from him, right? But notice that the angel does not rebuke her when we go to verse 35. See, this is a very similar situation that happened. The same thing happened to Zechariah earlier in chapter 1 where he tells Zechariah that his barren and old wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. And Zechariah's response is a lack of belief and, and, and not trusting in the Lord, Mary here is seeking clarity. She believes God, but she doesn't understand, so she asks a question, seeking clarity. How will this work, right? So when the Lord calls you to hard things, do you have a tendency to not believe God and walk by faith, or do you seek for clarity by pressing into the face of the Lord? See, that, that's, that's, you, you, you know by how you respond whether or not you're actually trusting God. See, sometimes God tells us, calls us and tells us to do hard things, and we don't believe that God told us to do that because it's hard. Because on some level, each and every one of us have a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel mentality, which says that because I follow Jesus, I shouldn't have to go through trouble. But Mary here, she has an understanding of what God is calling her to. And yet she's, all she does is seek clarity. I hear what you're saying. How is this going to work? 
right? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then he says, in, in case you're wondering what, like, like just, just what kind of God we're dealing with, look down the street at your old barren cousin and notice that she's pregnant. Now, notice the Bible doesn't say, look at your cousin, she's pregnant. The Bible made it a point to not waste words and to call Elizabeth old and barren. I, I don't want you to miss that, Mary. I don't want you just to think that just your cousin is pregnant. I want you to realize that your cousin couldn't have children and she's old, meaning she's past the point of in, her, in her age where she's able to have children and yet she's pregnant with a son. And then he says this in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, that, that's, that's an easy statement to read, but, the, but do you really believe that? Like when, when hell and high water break use, loose in your life, do you really believe that nothing is impossible with God? Dude, like is that, is that a core staple in your soul where you're, in, you're unmoved and unhinged and you can stand on the rock who is Christ and not the sifting sand. See, I like them old school Baptist hymnal songs that some of y'all don't even know. On the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. See, when you stand on the solid rock of Christ, you know that there's nothing that's impossible with God. But listen to what Mary's response is. Look at Mary's response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Now, now what's, what, when you look at Mary's life, what's funny about this, when you hear her say, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as according to to your word, you, you, you've got to understand what Mary's going to go through and the level of faithfulness and obedience she's going to have to the word. So you have Luke chapter one, where this angel just shows up in her life and, and God calls her to the difficulty of bearing the Messiah. And she has, she's positioned her life in such a way where she can be used by God and she's willing to be used by God. But now you have this conception, right? In Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says that she was found out to be with child. What does that mean? That means that the entire community around her knew that she was a virgin, but now that she's pregnant, and that Joseph wasn't the one to have sex with her, right? What does that mean now? That means you have a scandal on your hands. So every day that Mary leaves the house, you can believe that she's receiving visceral death threats, name-calling, and everything imaginable because she's pregnant and they know it's not with the man she committed to marry. But, but, you know, carrying the Messiah, you know, that's just, you know, there's nothing angry, like there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Mary just was skipping in lilies and rolling on, on grass the entire time because it was just so fun bearing the Messiah. Now, if Joseph was here today, we'd call him a punk. Straight to his face. Why? So, so you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me that you're you just going to bring her in your house 
knowing it's another man dude, I mean, it's another man baby in there? Y'all wouldn't be saying that to Joseph? Am I the only one? So, oh, so y'all just want to believe Mary, huh? All right. Y'all more holy than me. That's fine. That's fine. But, like, can you imagine this man who's never had sex with this woman, all of, all of a sudden she shows up, she's with child, and he knows it's not his. But the Bible says even before the angel came to him that he had, he had in his mind already decided to do away with her quietly, right? One, that shows you the character of Joseph, right? Two, after he's met by the angel, he still brings her in and takes care of her. Husbands, as a side note, your role in your marriage to your wife is to protect and shield her from difficulties in a godly way. Not, listen, not from all difficulties, because there are some difficulties that you need to allow your wife to experience so that she can grow in the Lord. And when you block her ability to grow in the Lord because you protect her from the Lord, then you inhibit her growth as a disciple of Jesus. The type of protection I'm talking about is a protection where she's getting unjustified, unbiblical, uh, visceral, hateful attention and persecution. Then you step in and shield your wife. Does that make sense? All right, take that home with you. Let that be a blessing. Now, now you can imagine in this community, there's, she's getting all types of hate because she's the only one who knows that she never had sex before, yet she's with child. So everybody's calling her all types of names. Everybody's getting at Joseph because he's a punk for letting this happen and then bringing her into the house. We don't stop there. Later on, they take, they, you, they take Jesus to the temple as is the custom because when a, a male is born, after a time pass period, after a, a time passes, they have to go to the temple to give an offering to the Lord because he was a firstborn. But we know that they're poor because they couldn't offer what was required of people that had money. So they had to give a poor man's offering, which was two turtle doves or two pigeons, right? So you have all of this drama going on with Jesus's birth. You know that they're poor, and so they have financial restrictions on what they're able to do in life period by time Jesus is three years old they're on the run to Egypt for their lives so in the first three years of Jesus's life his parents are involved in a scandal where everybody is looking down on them and and you can you can believe they've been relationally exiled from the community they're poor which if you're not married, you don't realize how much not having money puts a strain on your relationship maritally. But then not only that, now they have to run for their lives because there's a king who wants to kill their son. And he's still an infant. And then you got Jesus. Like, can you imagine the type of pressure it is to know that you're parenting God? I, what do you do with that? In, in, in Luke chapter 2, you know, they're on a trip to, to Jerusalem. They go to the temple and they're leaving. The Bible says they're about a day's journey away and they realize Jesus ain't there. So they're looking around. You, you seen Jesus? No? Uh, Elizabeth, you got Jesus with you? No, I'm God, oh, Jesus. And so if you've never lost your child before, like I, you start looking around and you don't see the back of their head or the shirt they had on, and you start just freaking out all over the place, right? Now, now, it's terrible for 15 minutes. He was gone for three days. 
So they had to backtrack from where they were a day's journey away back to Jerusalem, checking everything, checking under bushes, seeing if he got murdered by some wild beast or maybe he was kidnapped by robbers along the way until they get back to Jerusalem, which is going to be their final stop because there is nowhere else to search. And he's in there teaching. Now, my moms would have ran up and started slapping me upside the head. Just like the mom y'all seen on Facebook down at the Baltimore riots, right? That would have been my mom. What does it look like for Mary to go slap Jesus? She probably rose her hand and was like, ah, oh, man, I forgot he was God. <laughs> and she, she goes and she, t- she tells him how concerned she is. And, and he, what, what is his response? He's like, I, why are you tripping? You should have known I'm supposed to be here. What do you say to that as a parent? So you've got all of this drama going on in their personal lives. And then you have the pressure of having to raise Jesus, who is God, who created you. But, but you, know, you know what I love about how the Bible describes Mary in Luke chapter 2, verse 19 and verse 51? It says that she treasured these things in her heart and pondered them. See, see, Mary was in a place in her walk with Jesus, in her walk with God, where she was able to see beyond just her life. She could see the big picture of what God was calling her to, and she could sift through the difficulty of life. She could sift through her fears. She could sift through her insecurities, and she could sift through all of that, and she was able to see evidences of the grace of God on her son and in her life, and the Bible says that she stored those things up in her heart. I'm going to take a little bit of this. I don't understand that, but I'm going to store that away. That I, that's frustrating me, but I know that's the Lord. I'm going to take a little bit of that and, and, and do this. Man, this is hard. I hate this, but I know the Lord is doing something there. Let me take that and store that in my heart and ponder on it so I can know that the Lord is at work. See, Mary believed the word of God. Mary believed that what God called her to and the difficulty of what God called to her was not worth being compared to the glory that was ahead. But, but more than that, we see in verse 38, Mary's response of, behold, I am a servant to the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you don't leave home with anything else, leave home with this. Mary had positioned her life by her faithfulness to God, where she was willing to submit her life to be used by God. Have you positioned your life so that you can be used by God. God wants to, the Lord, he wants to use every single one of you in here today. But when you do a self-inspection of your life, would he even want to use you? Would he want to? He can, of course he can, he's God. But would he want to? Or would he want to just, man, I'll find somebody else to use. I, I don't trust them with my name. I don't trust them representing me, right? But in here, Mary has, she she has a picture of my life as so much bigger than me. And Lord, it belongs to you and I want you to use it. Whatever, let it be done to me according to your word. She saw what God was calling her to as the word of God. 
Let it be done to me as according to your word. I don't know if you realize, but you can't just roll out of bed in the morning and be a great mom. Doesn't work like that, right? Great moms have one thing in common. They are committed followers of Jesus. You cannot be a great mom if you are not a great woman of God first. See, we live in a culture where, you know, it's like, go, go ahead and spread your wild oats. That used to just be said of men. And now it's women too. And so, you can't flip-flop the two. If you're not a woman of God, you will not be a great mom. And so what God is calling you today to do is some self-inspection and some examination of, am I walking with Jesus to my fullest? Am I maximizing my life for the glory of God? Because when you're, when you're a disciple of Jesus and you're growing in your walk with God, everybody you come in contact gets the overflow of that, including your children. But the day that you stop growing as a disciple of Jesus, you've already maxed out in what you can give your kids. There's nothing more you can do for them the day you stop growing. And so in Mary's life, when we look at Mary's life, we, we, we see this young girl, 12 or 13 years old, who was so committed to the word of God and so committed to following her with all, following him with all her life that she could think through the reality of what God was calling her to, that this wasn't gonna be a cakewalk, that it wasn't gonna be easy, and yet still she could lift her eyes to heaven and say, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Your goal as a mother should be what Elizabeth says to Mary later on in this passage and what Mary writes in her worship song to God. Blessed are you among women, Mary even writes, from generation to generation, they will call me blessed. When you're long, dead and gone from here, will the legacy that you've left of godliness be able to be seen by those who may not even know you? When we look at the exposure that Mary had, this is for free. She didn't wait for her to have a platform in order to make herself available to be used by God. See, some of you are waiting for God to give you a platform before you're willing to be used by him. It's like, God, if you just, if you, like, if you, if you let me write this book, then people will know me and I can really have an impact. You know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I can get this business up and running, then I can really have an impact. And you're waiting for your circumstances. You're waiting for people to know you and care about who you are. Mary was unknown in an unknown town. But she was committed to putting her life on the line so that people could see Jesus. Regardless of if they saw her. And so today, like, leave home with this. Have you put yourself in a position through following God, through faithfulness and steadfast love, have you positioned your life so that when God is ready to use you, you can say, let it be to me as according to your word. Let's pray.